The Lord be with you. We are going to look at Psalm number 3 and probably it will take about six weeks to go through this psalm. It is a very short psalm, but it has much in it. And so I am planning anyway to stay with this for about six weeks. And so today I want to give the the general message of the psalm, and I believe that's impact in itself. But then as the weeks go by, we'll return to it word by word and see how magnificent this psalm is in our lives, especially today. Let me read then from Psalm number 3. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. And you know there in your Bible it has Selah, which means stop and think about that. Then in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves around me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. You notice at the top of that psalm, there's a little piece of information that is not really part of the psalm, but it has come down to us over the centuries as the the time when this psalm was written. And whenever we get those little pieces of information, it opens up the whole psalm to us. This one says, is the psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. We have in past months spent uh, many weeks on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 was written just after this. And so this is when David has just received the news that his son Absalom had risen up against him and civil war had been declared and Absalom was seeking to kill him. Now now get the whole picture here. It's important that this really began uh, sometime before when David had that terrible affair with Bathsheba and the resultant murder of uh, Uriah her husband and however much they tried to keep that quiet it spread through the city Uh, rumor leaks and scandals and so from that day on there had been a shock to the heart of the people that could they ever really trust David again would it ever be possible to look at David as the the figure that they'd always seen him the pedestal 
pedestal that they placed him on, this man of God, and he had been involved in that. And as, as the rumors leaked down among the people, his friends, I mean, they still were friends, but they're, they're restless now. They're, there's a wonder inside of them. And some of his friends outright would betray him. And, and those who were his enemies... Uh, latched on to that and they made sure everybody knew about it that that was in the near past and, and so that you've got this atmosphere among the people of God of distrust of David and, and a great big question mark over who he really is and his relationship with God and then his own family especially Absalom, um, determined they were going to settle this and take the throne away from David. Absalom, he was a young man, and the, the word that would be used in the media today would be charismatic. Uh, Absalom, he had it all. He, he was narcissistic, and at the same time, he was a man who could communicate with people. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, of Absalom that he, he let his hair grow. And, and so this magnificent mane of hair uh, characterized this arrogant young prince, Absalom. And, and when he rode his chariot, he rode it furiously through the streets. And so if you could get the picture, his hair streaming behind him that that magnificent handsome young man and he would then mingle with the people and put his arm on their shoulder and say you know if I were king things would be different wouldn't they and he gradually stole the heart of the people and so you have two things happening here the distrust of the people the shock of the people over what David had done and in their eyes had lost and at the same time Absalom gradually stealing away the hearts of the people promising them uh, things beyond all doing but they believed him it was a people who were looking for change people who needed great hope for the future and Absalom filled that gap but did it quietly, did it without any fanfare, until he determined the moment has come, and he declared himself king down in Hebron, and all the people said yes, and it seemed at least... Uh, well, I say seemed, in fact it really was, that just about all of Israel turned to Absalom. David only had a very few left with him, and they would have had some doubt in their hearts, at least some of them would. And so the news came to David, Absalom, your son, has declared himself king, and he's, he's now marching with his vast host of people, and he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's going to take your throne he threatens to kill you he's declared himself king now if you can put yourself in David's um, head and heart at that moment I mean at that moment 
he has lost everything everything he's lost his family he's lost his throne he's lost his status and and, and it's all happened in a moment uh, he got up in the morning and it was just another day but then the news came and everything in that moment was shattered and at the heart of what all the people were saying you know down there in the marketplaces the little groups that gathered in whatever equivalent they had to Starbucks the people would gather and as they sipped over their drinks they would talk and there was one thing that was sort of continually said it was the one thing that Absalom played on and that was David says it there that many are saying of my soul there is no no deliverance for him in God there's no deliverance for him in God the word deliverance there uh, which is as good a translation as any but it is a word we know better as salvation and so the word salvation contains within it the idea of deliverance and so they're saying there's no salvation for him in God no salvation for him in God the, the word salvation um, is, is a word that is greatly underplayed today and that's why I want to spend a whole week just talking about this word because it's all the way through this psalm but enough to say the word salvation uh, was first used the first time it's used in the Bible was on the shores of the Red Sea when uh, everything again for the Israelite people and Moses at that time looked hopeless you remember the story that, that here come the hosts of Pharaoh Pharaoh has suddenly woken up to realize he's let the slaves go good grief what was in my head when I did that and he hears that they are lost in the wilderness and coming to the Red Sea and so he gets his uh, SWAT team he, I mean, he's, he's crack troops and he comes after the Israelites and this time he's going to bring them back if, if necessary kill them if they try to get away he's not going to lose them again and, and so the, he, he's bearing down upon them and they are standing before the Red Sea which stretches out before them uh, impossible and they're, they're crying to God that they're in a state of panic that as to wisdom they're paralyzed in their minds what should we do where should we turn it's all over and the first time in the Bible it's used the Lord said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord the word salvation in that moment finds its basic definition and that is salvation is something God does only God can do and whatever it is we're talking about salvation means this is a situation that only God can get you out of no human brain could ever get you out of this mess but God can and God will for he is salvation and, and so that's when the word came into the Bible and what these people were saying for they knew that meaning to the word 
that David is in a place now where where uh, who who can get him out? The man has soiled his record. The the man has royally made things impossible for anybody to really deeply trust him and salvation well only God could help and he won't that's what the people were saying this this man has gone beyond anything even God could do that that was what was said abroad um and, and of course understand that behind the people behind Absalom we have to take into consideration that there were the forces of Satan that there was the powers of darkness that sought to destroy David for David carried within him the very lineage of Jesus Uh, one day David's great 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 grandson would be Jesus and so Satan would delight in wiping out David and so you hear Satan in those words and remember the very word Satan means accuser it's spoken clearly in Revelation where it says Satan is the accuser of the brethren accusing 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 or another word would be gossip or slander satan is the slanderer he's that little voice you hear pounding away inside of you that sometimes we mistake for our own thoughts that accuses us that tells us we're no good we're finished and god has no place for us and so you have here not only the mass of the people but you also have behind them and speaking as it were through them encouraging them urging them to their slander their gossip and their announcement that this man has gone beyond God's salvation he is no no deliverance there's no salvation for him in God and although David had laid hold upon God's love and received assurance of forgiveness, release from his sin back there in Psalm 51, but the, the man is human and there has got to be the rats of self-doubt that are gnawing down in the basement of his soul. Um, Uh, That's the man as he receives this news, terrible news, the blackest, darkest news a human being could ever have. That his family, but not only his family, his favorite son has risen up against him and is now marching on Jerusalem to kill him. That's his intent. And so David flees the palace and fled as a refugee. He fled literally with anything he could carry. I say he lost his status. He's saying goodbye to the palace. He's, He's saying goodbye to being king. He who ruled as, as the, the person under God, this vast empire which had become at that time um, stretching all the way across the desert he he was uh, one of the kings that was looked upon with envy by all other kings now this man is is fleeing a refugee um, from from the pinnacle of his success which he really was uh, now he crashes and he's 
fleeing, a refugee. And, and as he goes, he dresses, uh, and, and the Hebrew people would wear their clothes to describe their heart. And in his case, he wore sackcloth, which was something people used at funerals to say that a great death has taken place. And something so beautiful has been buried. It's over. It's finished. And it was the sackcloth was the garb of great mourning. It was the announcement of death. This was David. Black despair loss of everything I say it again I want you to hear it he'd lost his family because they're looking at him in horror what the last number of months with all the gossip but now this he's finished there's no way he's an older man now and it's his own son he's not going to stand up to him it's over those who were the loyalist friends they gave their allegiance to him and fled with him but as I say that was very few compared with the the multitudes of Israel as he said there in the opening word how my adversaries have increased he said every moment I'm hearing of more and more who have gone to Absalom he's lost the nation he's lost the people that he'd been appointed king pastor over and so he's humiliated in every sense of the word you could put into it humiliated civil war among the people of God and he's at the center of it and then you have that verse that comes at the end which I'll only refer to briefly but it says shatter the teeth of the wicked he's describing the what is happening his real enemies most of the people have just been carried on the tide but at the heart of it there are real people who want to kill him and he describes them as the wicked but when it says the wicked you can always sort of see behind the word the wicked you can see the wicked one and he is again referring to the spirit forces the spirit forces of darkness that would seek to crush him, kill him, be done with him. And so he describes them as having teeth. And he's calling on the Lord to break their teeth. What's that mean? He is describing all these circumstances that are happening and the people in those happenings as monsters that are biting at him, biting with the teeth of Satan. And he says, break their teeth. But you get, you see, if I were to look at this logically, bring bring the best of human logic to this situation, or bring bring plain common sense, and you would have to say the man is finished. There's no way out of this. He 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 is finished. It's it's good that he's fleeing. He might get away with his life, but he's finished. Everything we've known of David is over. He'll become a blip on the scene of history. And of course, public opinion, what they say, and they were saying it with a united and with a loud voice. They say, public opinion, 
He, he's, he's gone beyond whatever God could do in saving him. He's finished. All appearances, all feelings, they all, everything, get inside this man's head. It's over. There's no hope for him. You almost feel like saying it, don't you? There's no, there's no salvation that could be this big to get David out of this mess. I mean, look at what's happening. Listen to what public opinion says. What they are saying, I mean, it's common sense, it's logic. And then, of course, get inside David even further, where there has to be the churning, if only, if only, if only lots of things hadn't have happened, if only I'd been a better father to Absalom, if, if only I had been, cl- if only, if only, and what if, you, you know. And as he is going from the palace, he chooses the path that ultimately will lead out into the wilderness beyond Jordan. But, but it's the path that leads out of Jerusalem and, and he goes up the Mount of Olives. Very interestingly, in a thousand years' time from where David stood in history, that path that he took would lead right through the garden of Gethsemane now isn't that interesting David went up the Mount of Olives and actually walked through what in centuries would be called the garden of Gethsemane and he is expressing almost the same anguish that Jesus would have on that same spot he is in the darkest of despair The situation opens like a yawning chasm and he is in such darkness that that one of his enemies, Shimei, uh, came alongside. Uh, Only between Shimei and David there was a, a sort of chasm. So the, the Shimei could be very close but there was a, a big gap between them. And so Shimei was, was bold in the day of David's extreme darkness and he mocks him and he throws stones at him and says, God is bringing this upon you. And David is in such despair at that moment that he said, maybe indeed Shimei is right. Maybe, maybe indeed I, I have earned and deserve all of this. That, that, that's how deep David was in his despair. And he came to the top of the Mount of Olives. And if you've ever been there, from that top you can look down upon Jerusalem, down um, uh, upon the palace David would see that, and he would see down there Mount Zion, where he had sung and played before the Lord, and the glory of God was, uh, and he looks back at it, and he sits there on the top of the Mount of Olives, looking at every dream shattered, every hope that he'd had gone. And that's where this psalm was written. And as he sits there, he introduces another factor that no one had factored in. And he says it. It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. In verse 3, he says, But, but you, that's it. You see, I, I know everything the people say. 
I know the truth that is in what they say. But they've left out. And momentarily, he had left out and he had felt the, the, the darkness almost blinding him and paralyzing him. But he says, but you, but you, O oh Lord, here is the logic that transcends all human logic. Here is not common sense, here's God's sense. This is not what I feel, this is final, absolute truth. But you, O oh Lord, but you, there's another factor, something that is not apparent to my senses, something that I cannot see with these eyes, I cannot hear with these ears, I cannot touch it. Here is another factor, and it's the unexpected factor. It is, I call it, the God factor. The God factor, but, but, but. See, when, when that little word, but, it, yes, all that's true, but. You see, there, there's something you haven't taken into consideration, but. There, there's something here that you've left out, but, but. Everything that stared David in the face was true. It was true. And, and he's not going to argue with it. Ah, but you cannot come to a conclusion until you factored in all of the truth. Or you could put it this way, what was happening, the circumstances before him, public opinion was to a great degree true. Notice my word, true. That is, I'm not denying it. It is true. But, and the but introduces us to truth. And there is a difference between what is true and truth. Because what is true is passing. What is true just is the, what I can see. It's a reality that my senses can connect with. But truth, truth, that is invisible, but it is the reality that is under everything. That which is true may not be true tomorrow. You see, today it is true that the temperature here in southern Texas is around 70 degrees. That's true. But tomorrow, they tell us, it will be 80 or 85 degrees. And that will be true. But what was true today will not be true tomorrow. You see, true, it, it changes. It's, it's like an amoeba. It's, it's forever changing. But truth is that which never changes. Truth, that's why Jesus said, I am the truth. That is, I, I, I'm not something that is true in this moment. I am the truth, and I have ever been the truth. I always will be the truth, and all that I am, I always will be. Truth. And what David is doing here on the top of the Mount of Olives, he is turning away from that which is presently true, and he is laying hold 
of truth. It is the but, but thou. And that truth transcends all logic. It transcends all that is happening, all the circumstances, all of public opinion. Even when everything in the nation is contradicting it, truth is truth is truth. But you, but you, O Lord, but you, how my adversaries increased and all that they're saying and they're saying there is no deliverance, no salvation for me in God. But you, O Lord, ah, that's it even though there's no apparent visibility to you, even though it looks like death, but you, oh Lord, please, will you enter into that with me? Because circumstances may indeed be pressing upon you, public opinion may indeed be saying of you, you're finished, Turn deliberately and understand he who is truth and say it in your soul, but you, O Lord, but you, changes everything, changes everything, but you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, everyone, everyone, remember these were the people of God of the Old Testament, but every one of them had overlooked isn't it amazing how quickly we can overlook or the biblical word would be forgotten which doesn't mean it's gone out of your mind it means that you've left it way back in the past and you know he's overlooked the person who orders all things according to his love the mighty purpose, the mighty will of his love. And it staggers us, staggers us. They had, in a sense, these people who were saying there's no salvation for him in God. They, They were saying, in effect, that we know who God is, that they had fashioned God out of the scraps of their own mind. They had taken their own confused, stupid thoughts and they had made a mental image of what God was like. And that God that was created in their mind was one of necessity that would be like them. They created an image of God in their mind that was just like them. And therefore a God that would do just what they would do. And it was their opinion that he's gone too far. There's no salvation for him in God. So the God that they thought was God was a God who had a limit on his love had a limit on salvation. And and if you pass that line, you're finished, man. You're finished. Think about that. Because even in the Old Testament, 
uh, in the New Testament when the love of God, the cap is taken off and, and we see the vastness, the limitlessness of God's love. But they saw it enough in the Old Testament. And even in the Old Testament, let me say it very carefully, the love of God is too scandalous for a mind of a normal human being. The love of God is scandalous. Obviously God cannot deal with a man like this. He's let us down one time too often. God could not have salvation that would reach to this man. It's time he's out. Uh, we, we were talking at our Sunday service, um, I mean, talking outside as we were just chatting, and a number of people um, have actually, um, and, and there are some of you, you've emailed me, um, it, it's beyond my, really, after all these years, it's still beyond my comprehension, but people have been actually told to leave their church And their great crime is they believe in the love of God. Love that is as big as God. Love that is as big as God becoming incarnate in Jesus. Love that would go to death for us. Love that would actually raise us from the dead with Christ. And and, and yes, people of God have created in their mind a God after their own image and they've determined how far God can go and and, yeah I'm, I'm not ashamed to say the love of God is scandalous 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 and so they said there's no salvation for him you know and we go into this much more when we look at this word but the word for salvation, I, I don't know if you know this, it, it's um, pretty exciting, um, but the word for salvation in the Hebrew language, the word is Yahshua. And some of you just fell off your chair, because you know. But if you don't know, the word Yahshua, when you transliterated into English is Jesus. Did you know that? The name Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, did you understand that? When when Jesus ran the streets of Nazareth as a little boy, uh, Mary, his mother, would call him for dinner with Yeshua, Yeshua, dinner's ready, you see. That was his name, Yeshua. And in English, it's become Jesus. Quite frankly, I like Yeshua, um, but in the whole English-speaking world and beyond, it's Jesus. But Yeshua was his name. But Yeshua is the Hebrew word for salvation. Salvation. So, the people in the Old Testament, when they said salvation, they said Yeshua never imagining in their wildest imagination that salvation himself would become flesh and walk the streets of our earth. 
And what they were saying here, if I could sort of carry that through, they were saying there is no Yeshua for him. That is, there's no Jesus that could handle this. There's no Jesus that could go this far. This situation is beyond even Jesus. That's that's what they were saying. Of course, they didn't know that God would become flesh and his name would be salvation. But that's what they were doing. And David says, but you, oh, oh Lord, you, he had come to know you are beyond all public opinion. You are upon us in such a fashion that goes beyond all that the mind can think or imagine. Our wildest dreams, but you, oh God, but you, the God factor, the salvation factor, but you, you who do not act according to public opinion, but you who act consistent with who you are, unfathomable, unlimited, unconditional, unending love. God acts consistent. And and in order to give us strong hope that that's the way it is, he didn't only say that he was love, he swore with an oath, a covenant oath, which says, I will love you and my love will pursue its purpose even if it kills me. Which, of course, again in the Old Testament, they didn't know that that is exactly what would happen for, to achieve when salvation became flesh, to achieve his salvation end. He shed his blood and died covenant death this this is God so we can say it flippantly everybody left but in this case everybody has left but God remains unchanged unblinking God unlimited love God unconditional love faithful to who he has declared himself to be he can be no other Oh, but you, oh God, but you, utterly, utterly different, utterly other than anything all the people of God put together could ever imagine. Different to all their expectations of him, different to all their silly religious boundaries to him to say he can't go that far. God is not defined by human opinion. God is not defined but by what human beings think is okay, but beyond that it's scandalous. No, God isn't defined by that. God is not defined by theological textbooks written by humans. God is defined by himself, which is behind that when Moses asked his name, do you remember, in Exodus uh, and the name of God, God said, I am that I am. Uh, that, that is, uh, you, you want a name? You want to define me? You want to put me in a box? No, he says, I am who I am. Meaning at least one aspect of that is there's none like me to compare to me. Or as one of the other Psalms puts it, Oh God, who is like unto you among the gods? That is, when, when man has thought of everything that God is like, it's, it's tattered rags, who is like unto you?
nothing to compare nothing to compare but you O Lord you just who he is not to be bribed with promises not to be manipulated not to have his arm twisted with dedications and vows but rather but you O God eager God pressing in upon the situation I find myself in. But you, O Lord, ready to fill this yawning abyss of darkness and hopelessness and need to fill it with the fullness of himself and his love. This is him. But notice what David said. But you, O Lord, are a shield to me. You are. Wow, we, we might even spend a week on that. Ah, oh, you are. I, I, I don't see David here crying and pleading for God to become a shield to him, or to become his salvation, to become his glory. No, he, he shouts it from the top of the Mount of Olives. You are, you are a shield to me. You now in this moment while I have been in the blackness of despair you were there my shield I wasn't recognizing it but you are you is now in this immediate moment you are do you remember that verse in Isaiah where he says before they call I will answer yeah you see I I was raised God bless the dear people who raised me in the Lord. Um, I thank God for everything they taught me that was true. But sometimes they came up with these silly legalistic phrases. Uh, And one of them was, prayer moves God. And the idea was, and I mean, bless them, they put it into practice as best they knew. They thought the longer you prayed, the more intense you became, the more you wailed and howled and hammered, that somehow it would, and their word was, it moves God. Prayer moves God. (sighs) No, prayer doesn't move God. He doesn't need moving. Do you understand? What, what, What would it be? Your howls and wails would move love? Come on, love is eager, love is pressing, love desires to be all that you need him to be. Prayer doesn't move God, God moves us to pray. It was because David remembered into that present moment, you are, you are. When we pray, it's because we know who he is we are asking because we know he desires with holy passion to give you notice that much prayer um, stays in the asking mode think about that prayer much prayer it stays in the asking mode well asking places then the answer is always in the future and so we never get to the point of faith that takes and and did you realize why at the end of prayer you say amen do you know why because you see amen 
Um, that's another Hebrew word that we never translated, Amin. And Amin, it, it means that's the way it is. Amen at the end of prayer brings the asking into now. Amen is taking it and saying, thank you, that's the way it is. And you move out of prayer in the Amen, and you live in the Amen. And your your praying thereafter is from Amen. This is the way you are. And therefore I'm taking, I'm receiving, and I'm thanking you. See, faith is this. Faith says you are. I mean, please, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but go back to what we've just said, the situation, the people, the public opinion, the fact he's a refugee, the fact there's sackcloth on him instead of an ermine robe. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I can see, that's what I can feel, that's my present situation. But faith says beyond these things that are true. I put it this way, I look through the things that are true. I do not look at them, I look through them to the truth. And at this moment, said David, right at this moment, with all that this moment holds, you are my shield. In this is moment, now, you are my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head, who is now pressing, pressing to enter into my actualized situation so that I, I, I am dwelling in the shield and I'm dwelling in the glory. Or the, the definition of faith from the book of Hebrews 11, which says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is in the future. Hope is always in the future. But but faith grasps hold of that as substance. Substance is something you hold in your hand. This pen is substance, and I hold it. I can got it. So faith grasps. Yes, you are. I'm not asking you to become. That would be my hope that one day. No, you are. I hold you as substance, and Christ is that substance, you see. Christ, uh, and is the evidence of things not seen. Evidence um, was, was a word used to describe the title deed of a house or property. And so you, you don't have any vision, uh, you can't see the property, but I've got the title deed, and it is mine. That is what David is doing. He's touching it with inner hands, touching it beyond the senses. And he's saying, you are my shield. You are my glory. You, you carry your own evidence in my heart. You are the substance. And you are more real. You are reality that is greater than the circumstances, greater than public opinion and the words. You you, O oh God, the face of the covenant oath of God, love. You are my shield. We're going to take all week on that, but invisible. I mean, it doesn't look as if David has a shield. He had, hardly has an army to protect him. But, but he says, you are my shield uh, surrounding me. 
God the shield who's ahead of me, alongside of me, behind me. God my shield who is inside of me because really I need a shield in my mind against the thoughts where the flaming arrows of the slandering, accusing Satan are coming at me. I need a shield there. You are my shield. You, 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 you shield me in my innermost being shield and my glory all the honor that you gave me Lord and that was expressed in palace in in my robes in my status as king and it's all gone I'm sitting here in sackcloth I've lost my honor I've lost my position I've lost my status some of you have too in the last months, there's more than one person that have been stripped of all that overnight. But he says, you are my glory. When, when human beings, where the evil of human beings, where their wickedness has stripped me of my position, I couldn't take you away. And I may be dressed in sackcloth, but the glory of your light is shining through the sackcloth. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. What a phrase. That will take another week. Where, like a, he who is joined to us, love embracing us, he comes to our downcast. You know, our heads are down and our shoulders are down and we can only see the abyss yawning before us and he takes us and he lifts our head and we realize him. You are, you are, and you are shield, and you are glory, and you are lifter of head. That's who you are. Interestingly, the word head to a Hebrew person meant the whole person. There they saw the entire person, your, your inner person, outer person, summed up in your head. Uh, we, we have much the same idea, though, um, we don't think about it as much. Um, but when we take a photograph of a person, we take a photograph of their head. I mean, if anyone wants your photograph, they don't ask for a photograph of your knees. It's your head, because the head sums up the totality of the person. What he is saying, that here am I being sucked down in this, this quicksand of hopelessness, and you lift up, you lift up, my entire person that, that's the way it is and so with God his God and God his pillow God his shield he lays down and sleeps and if you have heard anything I've said in the last while that is an amazing thing he could sleep and I say it again, with God his God and God his pillow. And he says that he slept and he woke up because the Lord sustained him. The Lord was everything that he needed. And so right at this moment, you and I face our biting monsters. Those that would take chunks out of our life. And the monsters have a thousand faces. What did David do? He shared it with the Lord. See, 
if he shared that with himself, then all he would get is an overdose of self-pity and he would spiral down into deeper darkness if he shared it with himself alone. If he shares it with others, sitting down and saying, this is the most terrible situation I'm in, everything's gone wrong, couldn't be worse, he would end up with a self-pity party which only accentuates the feelings that I'm a victim of circumstance. No, he doesn't. He shares it with the Lord. Not that the Lord needed any information. He shared it with the Lord because in so doing he is casting his care upon the Lord and the Lord becomes to him his shield and so on. And so the psalm begins, O Lord, how are my adversaries increased? He is deliberately sharing it with the Lord. Do you you understand what I'm saying here? It's very dangerous just to share it with yourself. Have an inner conversation about the hopelessness. And it can become even more dangerous when I share it only with others. And because they will tend to agree with me and just pile fuel onto the fire of despair. There's a lot in this. Do you remember, I've often shared with you on the Emmaus Road, when Jesus, freshly risen from the dead, walks alongside that couple in despair, do you remember? And, and he, he remarks to them, you, you look as if you've had some bad news. They said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? Well, of course, the truth is he was the only one who knew what had happened. But his response to them, do you remember, he said, what things? Now, he didn't lie. He didn't say, I don't know. What things is a opening door to say, tell me. And they did. They spewed it out. All of their hopes that had been dashed. They thought he was the Messiah. He was crucified. Once they got it out... Then Jesus began to explain to them from the scripture what had happened. Until it says their hearts burned within them with excitement. And no, what things? God himself, the Father, through the Son and the Holy Spirit calls us, share your life, tell me where you're at. Or blind Bartimaeus, who comes running to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus called him from his beggar's patch? And he stands there blind. And Jesus says, what do you want? Now, come on. Pretty obvious. Surely Jesus knows what he wants. Anybody. The man wants healing of blindness. But Jesus said, what do you want? Because it is of necessity. It's part of our humanity that we get it out. And we tell him our situation. And so, are you surrounded by these biting monsters? Let the Lord know where you're at, for your sake. Open your heart by words directed into the heart of the God who is love. And then intentionally, deliberately, 
from your heart declare unchangeable truth declare the unchangeable factor that changes everything declare who he is now you see Yeshua was embedded into the situation and David declares it. It gave him a new seeing. Things are not what they seem to be. There's a factor that's been overlooked. Circumstances, public opinion becomes the necessary emptiness in which the fullness of God may be manifest to fill that emptiness before you call he is the unsuppressing to come in now with words declaring who he is declaring his covenant oath of love receive him into the situation and understand that he is all of this to you and hurl that into the mocking lies hurl that at the slander that is like blazing arrows being shot into your soul. Stand in that truth, as David did, to the point of such peace that he could sleep, even though Absalom, with a far mightier force, is coming against him. He sleeps knowing the Lord is my shield. He's got this in his hand. And he goes into the wilderness, and the story gets more involved and if you were with us those months ago when we went into great detail in Psalm 23 um, but at the end of it David is back on the throne instated as king with the loyalty of the people restored to him this is true hope and it's embedded in this true faith that lays hold upon God the God who is who he is well it's been good to visit with you again and may you go into this week standing in the God factor that transcends all other factors and the blessing of God almighty unlimited unchanging love the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you be in you be ahead of you beside you and your back that you shall walk in triumph in the midst of all darkness. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.